Hi everyone, welcome to episode 10 of Kingdom Hearts and Other Stuff, or Chaos, where the guest brings the topic and I tie it into Kingdom Hearts and maybe convince them to try to get, try to give the series, give the series a try. Uh, I'm your host, Zach Lyons, and my guest for today is actually a former editor of mine, Sharon Kuhn. Hello! Hello! How are you doing? What are you doing these days? Oh, good. I'm working in a lot of esports right now. So I don't get as much Kingdom Hearts fix as I used to, and I guess that's why I'm here. You're not hitting up all the hot multiplayer Kingdom Hearts action? Hot multiplayer Kingdom Hearts sponsored <laughs> esports tournaments, yes. Yeah, all yeah. In. I mean, there's been multiplayer Kingdom Hearts. Really? What? Before. Yeah, there has. Uh, the first one that's coming to mind is in 358 over two days, when it was on the DS originally. You could do... I think it was co-op multiplayer because it was all focused on the organization members. And if you had friends with DSs in the game around you, like locally, oh, then you could I all play do. different yeah. organization members. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was, uh, I don't think I ever played it because none of my friends had 358 over two days, just me. Yeah, uh, I have to ask, do you have like a chart of all the game names available to you and how to pronounce no, them? Because I remember I just... pretty direly being unable to figure out any <laughs> yeah no i've just been following it actively for 16 17 years and i remember them all because that's how <laughs> all i right, am fair enough fair enough um so you're in esports i don't actually i know you've been in esports for a while but i don't know what you do what is it yeah, so I'm the editor-in-chief at Blitz Esports. We're kind of a okay. product and media company, so I work on the media end, and we do a lot of reporting on League of Legends, Overwatch, CSGO, and new Fortnite. Um, so we do a lot of like play breakdowns, interviews with the players, and sort of explainers on behind-the-scenes stuff. And then our product team makes apps, so they make like... We have a League of Legends and a Fortnite app, and both kind of work with computer vision to sort of give you performance stats or other sort of in-game info as you play. That's awesome. That's really cool. Yeah, it's uh, so, super techie. <laughs> no, that, that sounds really cool, though. Really neat. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, Sharon and I know each other because we worked together at the website Twinfinite previously, mm -hmm. where she was, like I said before, my editor. And, I uh, consistently wielded the power to smite you and chose not you to. You did. So that's why we're friends. But you know what? You put up some of my favorite articles ever, like about uh, who sat next to the camp or sat next to a not campfire, not bonfire, just the fire, the fireplace. Oh, who sat in front yes. of the fireplace better, Yarny or Nick Offerman? So I had these pieces that I did at Twinfinite that were pretty objectively ridiculous and they continue to be you like mean the, pretty the objectively pagers. amazing yeah they're yeah. the front pages of my portfolio every time i send it somewhere and i'm just like you know i don't know what people are going to think about this long analysis it, who is it it's yarny who is a ball of yarn shaped like a person uh star of unravel and he did a hour-long camp not campfire fireside special for the holidays yeah. as well as did nick offerman uh, star of Parks and Rec. And yeah, I wrote an expose comparing the two. Who had the better fireside sit down? P I don't remember Pinnacle. who won. Do you remember who won? Pinnacle of video games journalism right there. Yeah. I do not. I do not. But I think really we all won. It was really deep work. I had to compare their log sizes and you would <laughs> and their choice of you know, accompaniments, which for Nick Offerman was whiskey, and for Yarny was the the knowledge of the death of the universe, and yeah, <laughs> one of my favorites. 
and the hand that would occasionally bring him out and uh, take him away again. Really, really meta stuff. Yeah, good times. And uh, for people, because this is a part of the Nerd Pals Network, and Stan and Chris from Super Nerd Pals also were at Twin Fit, and that's how I met them, and they know Sharon, and we all wrote together, and it was really cool. And then they, they spun off and did Super Nerd Pals, and then I just kind of latched onto that and made chaos and you know i'll say i think i hired all three of you so really i think you did yeah exists by my hand (laughs) which sharon thank you thank you for giving me this opportunity oh you're welcome (laughs) i sound like i sound like such a megalomaniac and that's that's pretty suitable so now you know me Yeah, yeah it's perfect it's perfect it's very on on brand so one more question for now. What is your familiarity with the Kingdom Hearts series? Okay. Um, so I like to call myself a fan of the series because I love it a lot, but I have to qualify that with the information that I've only played Kingdom Hearts 2, but I have played it <laughs> 20 times. Um, oh, okay. I think I would call my library of games growing up limited, um, so mm-hmm. I did not really have the opportunity or means to play all the surrounding content. Um, sure, but I'm as quite many people did Yeah. Nice. So you haven't even played Kingdom Hearts 1? Really? No, I said you haven't even played Kingdom Hearts 1. Wow. Yeah, I haven't. I don't even think I've watched the full movie of Kingdom Hearts 1. Only parts. Wow. So I am a... Very interesting. I'm a big fan, but a bad fan. (laughs) No, no such thing. (laughs) Well, there is, but you're not it. Okay, thank you. (laughs) So... Uh, based on only having played Kingdom Hearts 2, have you been keeping up with 3? Are you planning on picking it up when it comes out? Yes, I am. Um, I've been watching all of the trailers and sneak peeks over the last years, mostly in the last year. And sure. I'm really excited to play it, but I uh, admit to my own cluelessness in terms of entering it and understanding what's going on. Well, it's okay. It's uh, I know they've talked a lot about how they're going to try in the lead-up to the game, so which is only half a year away now, or less than, so they should be picking up this uh, marketing pretty soon. But they in Japan, I know they already released a few videos chronicling a lot of the events from the games, like on YouTube. They're just I like three or four minutes long. I would love a huge cinema movie, kind of like what they did with the latest Final Fantasy. But obviously... Oh, like, like how they did King's... How they did like King's Glaive as a precursor to 15, you mean? Yeah, that's really what I need. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's uh, there are people on YouTube that have done that. There's a guy I can't remember his name right now, but he's been making a Kingdom Hearts like retrospective series, and it's really, really good. I'll uh, try and look it up and put it in the show notes. Ooh, yes, please. But um, but yeah. So they, I, I think Tetsuya Nomura said before that they're gonna have these kinds of things uh, in-game as well in Kingdom Hearts 3 to so that it's rewarding and fun and awesome for longtime fans who've played everything, but also for newcomers or people who aren't caught up on all the side games will be able to catch up while playing 3. I really doubt their capability of doing that because they kind of wanted to do know. that with Kingdom Hearts 2. And I'll say, yes, I did play the whole thing and I kind of get the general going-ons, but they definitely just every five minutes drop in a character with a large backstory yeah. and maybe their own nintendo ds game <laughs> and and they just kind of like true. brush it off so like if you're willing to brush off a lot yeah it's probably that otherwise well, I, don't I think actually think they're going to reach understanding <laughs> they they did a really decent job of it in dream drop distance actually because like throughout the game you would unlock what they called flashbacks and chronicles 
and flashbacks were like little cutscenes that would allude to things that happened previously in that world that you were in. Mm. And like with characters you may not see in these scenes before, also, like as yeah, sort or Riku. I'm not totally convinced by that either because, per my understanding, a large, a large part of various Kingdom Hearts characters' past involved being possessed by someone, split into yep. multiple people possessed yep. by the splits of other people. So <laughs> if you're watching a flashback, you are getting 10% of the Kingdom Hearts storyline. No, you're absolutely right. And it's totally 100% better to play the games. But if you don't have the time, you can't be bothered, whatever, then you know it, it, it does it in a pinch. Yeah, but, I uh, can agree on that. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, what, having said all that, what topic would you like to discuss? All right, yes. So today I want to talk about Riku, whom... Okay. To me is like, and it's a little disgraceful to say, but I think he's a better protagonist than Sora, and also like, in terms of Kingdom Hearts 2, the bigger damsel in distress than Kyrie. Mm. Um, so I just think he's like so well-rounded, but also to me very mysterious. So I super want to dig into like what is his deal and why is he not the main character. Yeah, sure. Well, I, I touched on this. I, I mentioned to you before we recorded that uh, a couple weeks ago, a couple weeks ago, a couple episodes ago, episode eight, uh, when I didn't have a guest, I just did like a solo episode where I kind of broke down Alexa Ray Correa's Kingdom Hearts 2 book from Boss Fight Books. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I read, um, I, I don't listened know if, to that section, actually. You did? Okay, cool. Uh, and so any other listeners, if you go back and listen to that, she covers in her book a couple chapters that really go into Riku's character, you know, his bromance with Sora, uh, and, like, his, his, his depth, and exactly what you were saying, how he seems to be the bigger, more developed, more well-rounded character than Sora, where Sora's the happy-go-lucky, and just stays constant and stagnant, almost, but Riku goes through a lot of ups and downs and emotional battles, you know? Yeah, it's almost like, uh, Kingdom Hearts 2 seems actually a lot about people who aren't with Sora. So like yeah, yeah. you really care about like Roxas and Kyrie are pretty distinctly not part of Sora's storyline. Nominee as well. Uh, a lot of plot lines revolve around Mickey, like no one can find King Mickey and what's he up to? And yeah. man, I'd love to know what he's doing. Um and then yeah, Riku as well has his own like little adventure. So really all of Kingdom Hearts is trying to figure out what people are doing while Sora is like this unchanging like nice guy. Yep. Like it's on one hand, it's nice to have that that constant, especially I guess the main character. I think, but on the other hand, you kind of want more development, more character development, more changes, more growth from your main character, the one that you're following the entire time. Yeah, and I like Sora has a very simple like I like this girl and she's gone. I'm gonna get her back storyline. But every time Riku yeah. gets dropped into it, and this is where I get confused. Like Riku seems to have a deep troubling experience happening to him he is like not traveling with Sora everybody's worried about him he's always worried about something like I think there's just Mm. way more to delve into on him and I don't really know what's going on so uh, are you familiar with the arc in Kingdom Hearts 1 sorry what are you familiar with everyone's arc in Kingdom Hearts 1 like Sora Riku Kairi not fully I know that they were friends and that then they split up and tried to reunite to some degree. I know that Riku kind of got like swayed by Maleficent um, mm-hmm. for like power and, and finding Kairi. And then he gets possessed by a series of people, perhaps. 
this is <laughs> the end of my understanding. Yeah, fair enough. So, uh, in Kingdom Hearts 1, it starts with Sora, Riku, and Kairi all on the Destiny Islands where they are best friends. And they all want to travel to other worlds. They make a raft to go on an adventure. But the night before that, they take the raft out. Uh, there's a big storm, and darkness envelops the island. And Sora all of a sudden gets the power of the Keyblade and takes out the Heartless that appear. And Riku's like, oh, we can go to other worlds now. Take my hand. Get Kairi. Let's go. And Sora's like, what are you doing? You're in front of a big dark portal. That doesn't look great. But uh, I love it. Sora... Riku is just down from the start. Yeah, yeah, no, he's down to clown. He just goes right for it. He's like, hey, let's GTFO. And when Sora shows apprehension, Riku's like, uh, okay, bye. And he just goes in the dark portal, uh, or the dark portal envelops him, and he disappears. And Sora goes to try and find Kairi, and when he does, she, like, ethereally swoops through him. And that's when her heart gets taken out of her body and put into Sora's. Hmm. And so for like the rest of the game almost Kyrie's an empty shell because her they're trying to find her and they're trying to find her heart, not realizing until near the end that it's in Sora's body. Gotcha. Okay. And I see this is another one of the scenarios. I've definitely seen flashbacks of that narrative. Yeah, sure. Within other Kingdom Hearts games. You don't know but you like, never quite Oh, understood. it's her heart being stored inside Sora. It just looks like they're hugging for a bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, uh, whereas the, uh, after Riku goes away and Kairi's heart goes into Sora, this, the darkness kind of swallows him up. And when Sora wakes up, he's in Traverse Town where he meets the Final Fantasy characters and Pluto and Donald and Goofy and all that. Uh, and then he starts on his journey to find his friends, Riku and Kairi. Meanwhile, next time you see Riku, he's gone through the Dark Portal and has been found by Maleficent. And so she kind of recruits him into her evil league of evil and corrupts him almost because he's got the darkness inside of him. Uh, but, and she, what's the word, tries to, tries to bring it out in him. And she pressures him to, to use the dark power to help further her own agenda. And, and why does Riku agree to this? Because Maleficent promises him that she knows where Kyrie is. And to her credit, somehow she has ended up with Kyrie's body and... She gives it to Riku after a while, after she's, like, taught him how to use dark powers. Like, because I think Riku Sora got Riku... a pretty good deal there, like... Yeah, he, yeah, not bad. <laughs> he clearly, one, was the best protagonist because he he's, like, like destiny fucking yep. landed on the middle of their boring ass little island. And he's like, oh, yep. oh, yes, like, let's go, let's have an adventure, like, this is destiny. And they're like, nah, I'd rather just, like, look at seashells. And he goes off, yeah, yeah. he's got, like... He finds, unlocks powers, he brushes with evil, you know? I think he's doing work. Yeah, and honestly, like, that's part of what makes him, like you say, one of the best characters. Because Sora is, like, always the shining beacon of light. And he's always so good and pure. Like, he is the light to counter the darkness. Whereas Riku's a good blend of light and dark. And that's what he struggles with throughout the series. As in the first game, you know, after being corrupted by uh, darkness via Maleficent. Later in the game, he gets possessed, like you said, by Ansem and just becomes like the bad guy for a while. But then at the end of the game, when he retain he reclaims his self, for like the next two or three games, he's fighting within himself to control the darkness instead of letting it overtake him again. Yeah, this and is he comes the part out the other side kinda... all the more strong for it. 
this is the part that gets kind of kitschy in Kingdom Hearts 2, because I think when we when I meet him in Kingdom Hearts 2, he's just, like, super edgy about this. Like, I feel like every yeah. time he runs into Sora, Sora's like, oh, my dear friend. And he's like, no, I'm still struggling yeah. with darkness. And they're just like, yeah, well, why yeah. don't you just come hang out and, like, be good? And he's like, I can't just be good. Like, it's not, <laughs> it's not fully fleshed out, but it is fascinating. It's very angsty emo Riku, that stage. He's like, I can't, I can't let you see me like this. I'm exactly. too embarrassed and, it, and ashamed. It doesn't totally make sense, but, man, I would have found it fascinating if it did, because I think, you know, like, Sora <laughs> is good to a to a point. Like, he's so good, he almost didn't want to go on this adventure. Like, yeah, like yeah. in a universe without Riku, Sora would just be sitting on that island. Like, that's how good he is. Like, he do, he, he does not well. make a video game himself. <laughs> it's just not enough. No, that's, that, that statement is very true. Yes, I agree with that. So, like, Riku, he... He's actually, like, he would actually make more sense as a character if we did spend more time with him. But I guess, like, that's his draw. We're not supposed to spend time with Riku. Yeah, well, exactly. You learn, you, it's, it's, like, I've used this comparison in the show before, but it's kind of like in Final Fantasy X. Titus isn't the main character, Yun is the main character. And you see her story unfold through his eyes. Totally. That's, like, Kingdom Hearts to me is, like, you see Riku's story unfold through Sora. Kairi's made out to be important, but she's really just the side character at this point. She's usually just a pawn yeah. in the greater scheme of things. Kyra is Kyra but, is like a, a daisy with a few voice lines. Like, I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm not, not sure wrong. as to her grand... Like, she could have been like a locket that Sora lost. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Yeah, and, and it's interesting, too, because later in the series, in uh, Dream Drop Distance, that's when Riku and Sora undergo the Mark of Mastery exam. Are you familiar with the Mark of Mastery? Absolutely not. <laughs> I was gonna say I have to remind myself what's covered in two and what's covered in everything else. Yeah, exactly. Uh, when you play Birth by Sleep, you see Aqua, Terra, and Ventus, and Aqua and Terra undergo the Mark of Mastery exam to see who has the qualifications and control over themselves and their power to become a Keyblade Master, as opposed to just a Keyblade wielder who you know can do good. And Aqua wins the contest, and she becomes a Keyblade Master, and Terra spends the rest of the game being pouty and trying to control his darkness and seeing how he can grow stronger to become a Keyblade Master himself. Gotcha. And after you have all of that background on the Mark of Mastery and Keyblade Masters, then you get to Dream Drop Distance, where Sora and Riku take the Mark of Mastery exam. Even though you're like six games deep at this point, you find out that neither of them are actually Keyblade Master. They're just quote-unquote chosen Keyblade wielders. Oh, where and is so, that moment in relation to, say, Kingdom Hearts 2? Is it in the past or is it it's, after that? Chronologically, it's like the next thing. Okay. Uh, King, it happens with Kingdom Hearts 2, and then do you know at the end of Kingdom Hearts 2 when Kyrie comes up on Desayans and shows them a message in a bottle with Mickey's seal on it? Yes. That's That letter is... Is, is that Mickey, their invitation to take the test? Basically, yeah. That's uh, Mickey's recounting of the events of Kingdom Hearts Coded, which is just a terrible game, <laughs> <laughs> and has literally two or three scenes pivotal to the plot, and they're at the end once you've beaten it. And that they're, like, saying that this is what the letter says, and it's inviting them to Yen Sid's castle to take the mark of mastery, to be to see if they can prove themselves worthy of becoming true masters. And I'm going to guess Riku does not pass. You would be wrong. Ooh. That's another thing. That's where um, why this is important to the story of Riku, is in the end, 
Without getting into all the other details, Riku passes and Sora does not. That's because Riku is a more fully fleshed human. <laughs> right? <laughs> so Riku becomes a true Keyblade Master and Sora does not. And it's because Sora has successfully honed his darkness. Like he can control the darkness inside him and use it to his advantage while also embracing his light. Whereas Sora, in that game, like near the finale of Dream Drop Distance, Sora is found to be like comatose by the enemy, by Xehanort and the bad guys. And they're like trying to recruit him. Like they put him in a deep slumber so that they can dive into his heart and take him over and make him one of the Xehanort army, basically. Mm. And uh, Riku stops them and he dives into Sora's heart and brings him out of that slumber and wakes him up. And he's good again. So because Sora fell to that power, even though like you don't see him in dark mode or anything, like he fell and he was almost taken by the Xehanorts, and he was powerless to stop it. So that's why he didn't pass the mark of mastery. Whereas Riku went in, saved him, and came out. So he proved himself worthy. I'm all for this narrative. I'm all for <laughs> like, like taking your hero and then at the end of the, at the end of it all being like, yeah, uh, you're not the hero. Like. Yeah, you, yeah. You're too good. You've only done the right thing, and like, we're we're gonna go ahead and it's, it reminds me of um how like Ash can never win the Pokemon League, and I'm oh, fairly yeah, certain Gary, right? Gary got way farther than he. Gary is much more oh, successful. Sure. Gary has ten Pokemon badges from the first league. Like, <laughs> I, I am oh, I, I am all for the like anti-hero narratives. Yeah, hundred percent. And and. So I'm with you there. I think uh, Sora, or Riku's definitely more the main character than Sora. It's just all told through Sora's eyes. But why? It, is is that intentional? Okay, so you mentioned in your podcast that I listened to that Riku yes. is like the favorite character of the creator. And I, like, I sort of yeah. wonder if it is intentional that that we see main character Riku through Sora's eyes or like... Riku was just so beloved that he just ended up more interesting, and now, like in hindsight, we see like, oh, maybe yeah, he could have been more more of a character. I, th- I don't know how I intentional it is. Yeah, I think it's a little bit of both. Like, I think uh, he wanted at the beginning, like when he was designing and conceptualizing Kingdom Hearts, and Sora wasn't a boy, but he was like a lion boy with a chainsaw sword instead of a key sword or whatever. Uh, I don't know if you're aware of that, but that was a thing during the concept phases. Fascinating. And I think Sora was a bit more edgy and interesting. Not that he's not interesting now, but you know what I mean. Uh, And I I don't. I'm not sure where it developed uh, the the Sora Riku rivalry and relationship, but I think it's worked out for the better because again, Sora's a good character to follow, and Riku's a good character to learn about. Why do you think know. Sora is a good character to follow? I think it's because he's got that lightning rod effect, like like Tidus and like Vaughn in Final Fantasy XII. As all the interesting characters flock to him, like he's wow, the beacon. He actually does remind me a lot of Titus, and I will call him Titus because I choose to. <laughs> um, and that yeah, kind of like naive, maybe a little dumb, maybe hoping things will end up better than they could be. Yeah, yeah. I'm really sure. like their naivety is just to place you in that state of mind so that like all the shitty things that you eventually get a window to are a little hit hit a little harder because you realize they must be hitting Sora. Yeah, and that's actually something else is like I feel like Sora's a deeper character than a lot of people give him credit for because like you see his like he he's almost like got depression but he masks it with a smile because like there's so many times like at the beginning of Kingdom Hearts 2 when he's in or Kingdom Hearts 1 
Right, you wouldn't be familiar with this because you haven't played it. <laughs> but when yeah. when Sora first meets Donald and Goofy, and they're like, oh, you're the key we've been searching for because King Mickey told them to look for the key, and that's Sora. Mm-hmm. And when they find him, they're like, you're the key. You need to come with us and try and help us find our king, and we'll help you find your friends. And Sora just, like, hangs his head and, like, looks so sad because his friends aren't here and he doesn't know where they're at or he doesn't know what's happening. He's just been dumped this big obligation on top of him. And he just looks <laughs> so simple sadness, morose. though. He, it is. He's got, like, the still, on-off like, button on happy sad. Yeah, you're not wrong. But, I mean, he's just been thrown from his world, told that worlds are blinking out, and he's just got this big problem to deal with now. And he just looks so bummed out about it. But they're like... There's only one condition about coming with us. No frowning, no sad faces. Our ship runs on happy thoughts. Like it's very, <laughs> it's very Disney for that moment. Mm-hmm. And so Sora's like, yes! And like, it's this really big cheesy smile. And it's like, you laugh out loud. It's such a funny moment, but it, it just makes me feel like he's actually like super struggling to cope, hmm. but he's and just masking it all. And then all that interesting angstiness is just spliced off. In Roxas, <laughs> yeah, I was yeah, such a huge Roxas fan. That's what that's what made Kingdom Hearts two so interesting to me because I thought Roxas and all his like Twilight Town characters were so multidimensional, and so yeah, so interesting in that like they were they were sort of like living in the reality of like something is wrong. Yeah, and definitely. Then, and then like you know Sora comes in and it's just like oh yeah you're just like you know my trash remains everything's great yeah. and I'm I'm happiness and light and I'm chasing a princess. <laughs> <laughs> and then you get it's always and i think that's kind of like the greater contrast that's in kingdom hearts 2 like so sora is like so charismatic and nice and good and happy and he's traveling with donald and goofy like disney's you know prime characters Mascots, and then like yeah. you get tossed in a, an organization member who is just angsty and dark and hates things maybe for like no reason and then yep. like you're in disney worlds and it's the pairing of disney worlds with bad things and like so Sora is kind of like, in in a sense, like the Disney to the, all the contrast that Kingdom Hearts, Kingdom Hearts yeah. angst drops into stuff. Yeah, definitely. Like the whole series is Disney meets Final Fantasy. It's like Sora's Disney and Riku's Final Fantasy. But yeah, couldn't our main character be Final Fantasy instead? Like what what would it be? Would it, yeah, would you, it be that's bad? a really interesting perspective. Would it be I a like bad it. game if we like if it was centered on Riku and Sora was maybe like a side character like or like they traveled together i really wonder if riku well, is actually better mysterious yeah and i think that's part of it but uh this is also something you miss out on by not having played a lot of the other games because in chain of memories it seems like sora's story but then when you beat it as sora you realize oh there's a whole nother like third of this game and it's playing as riku and so you see like the entire yeah, sora uh, was never the, the entire point. game <laughs> yeah well like uh, when I first played Kingdom Hearts Chain of Memories on the Game Boy Advance when it first came out, like, I didn't beat it as Sora because I got frustrated apart and gave it up for years. Mm-hmm. And then they remade it on PS2 and I played it again. And I was like, sweet, I got this part a lot easier. Don't know why, but hey. And then I beat it and I was like, oh, dang, you can play as Riku too? <laughs> and so they, then, like, they really made through... this, uh, the most accessible Kingdom Hearts games are the brightest and simplest. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But, uh, so, like, you, you play through basically the entirety of that game again, but as Riku, and because you never see Riku as Sora or vice versa, 
like they don't cross paths so you're seeing everything from Riku's perspective and learning a whole lot more about him and the characters that you encounter and it's really really cool and then they take it a step further in Dream Drop Distance because you're literally playing both Sora and Riku they're traveling to the okay. same worlds and trying to because the, the whole point of Dream Drop Distance is they're both partaking in the Mark of Mastery and that's what you're doing for 95% of the game mm-hmm. so they both but got like, the same objective None of this is in Kingdom Hearts 1 and 2, which I would say, would argue is, you know, the, the flagship of the series. Oh, sure, like sure. If you're going to play Kingdom Hearts at the most entry level, you play 1 and 2, and, like, everything else is peripheral. And if you do that, I agree. you're really on this sort of, like, vanilla story course. Yeah, I think uh, 1 and 2 are definitely the most important, but the next supplemental, like, the most important supplemental ones are, in my opinion, Birth by Sleep and Dream Drop Distance. Because Birth by Sleep gives you the context for everything that's to come. And Dream Drop Distance is, like, the first legitimate follow-up. Like, it's... Because after Kingdom Hearts 2, you got Birth by Sleep, which is a prologue, and then 358 over two days, which is, like, congruent to... Congruent. Uh, <laughs> congruent, maybe that's not the right word. Adjacent to, like, it, hap- it starts near the end of Kingdom Hearts 1 and ends at the very beginning of Kingdom Hearts 2. So it takes place throughout the interim, and it follows Roxas. So it's, a, again, a prequel, and then during the time span that's already happened, and then Coded, which is, like, almost nothing. And those are three games in a row that are released that aren't really progressing the story any. They're just giving you more fleshed-out context and plot. Gotcha. So I have to ask, then, going into Kingdom Hearts 3, where's Riku yes. at? Uh, it, he is with King Mickey going to try and save Aqua from the Realm of Darkness. Whew. Okay. So he's still... <laughs> Doing way cooler shit. <laughs> yeah, he, basically. Him, because I always got this. There's a sad feeling as you play Kingdom Hearts 2 that like Sora is like this poor little child left out of the loop because like yep. he wants to know what Mickey's up to. And every time you run into Mickey, Mickey is clearly doing something busy. Like he's he's in the middle of an adventure and you brush past yeah. him. And he's like, oh, hey, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, hold on. <laughs> One second. Yeah. And, and Mickey and, is... Sorry, go ahead. Sorry. And and Riku, you you can tell is fully plugged into that like this cool dark side adventure, and Sora just is so sad. Like like the parents don't want to really tell him what's going on. And that's where the importance of the cha- the Riku side of Chain of Memories comes in. It's because you see where Riku goes at the end of Kingdom Hearts One and how he gets to where he is in Kingdom Hearts Two, where he's struggling to uh, control his darkness, and then in Kingdom Hearts Two he realizes like he's at a position to observe Sora from afar, basically. Mm. And he and Mickey have a relationship akin to what Sora, Donald, and Goofy have. Like, Mickey is his Disney companion, like they are for Sora. And so they have their own storyline, Mickey and Riku, where, like, they've got their own secrets going on that Riku's like, hey, please don't tell Sora about this. And Mickey's <laughs> like, mm, okay. And that's why Mickey just kind of brushes off Sora whenever he tries to talk to him. Because he's like, if I talk to you, I'm going to spill the beans about Riku. And he doesn't want me to. And I promised him. I can't break my promise. That's adorable. Yeah, like, it's Everybody, everybody in, in the sense, tries to protect Sora a little bit. And Riku has sort of received the grunt of the of like yeah. life experience. Which is why he becomes, yeah. like, the Keyblade Master. Is he currently, like, a Keyblade Master? Does he have that title? Yes. Three? Yes. So what does at that the mean, end of say, I th- in Birth by Sleep they say when you become a Keyblade Master you become, uh, like that they give you more information about like the history and lore of Keyblade wielders and stuff. I think, which is I think what the audience is given in 
the 2.8 compilation. Becoming a Keyblade Master is what every Final Fan, uh, Kingdom Hearts fan wants. Fan, Lore. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so it, it's gaining new powers and gaining new knowledge to help better the worlds, basically. Yeah, um, Riku gets smarter and, and Sora stays dumb. Yeah, well, it's funny because at the end of Kingdom Hearts 1... Uh, no, no, it's at the end of Chain of Memories. Sora's put into a deep sleep so all his memories can be put back together, which is a whole other tirade I won't get into right now. <laughs> and so because his mind has been scrambled and jambled and put back together, that's what that's their reasoning, their story plot reasoning, why at the beginning of Kingdom Hearts 2 he's level 1 again and mm. has no abilities. He's forgotten all of his magic and all of his abilities. Righto. And then in Dream Drop Distance... Uh, at the end of that, when he wakes up from his comatose state and Riku saved him, it's like, you fall into the darkness and you've been brought back. And again, you've lost all of your abilities. <laughs> okay. So now, like, so now you need to go find out what it means to regain your true sense of self and your, uh, your powers and go find a true hero to talk to. So at the last time, chronologically, that we see Sora, he's with Donald and Goofy trying to make their way to Olympus Coliseum to talk to Hercules so he can beef him up again. Okay. So are, are you expecting Kingdom Hearts 3 to be another round of focusing on Sora and Riku as kind of like this side glancy story? I think in the sense that you're controlling Sora for the most of the time, yes. But Nomura has been very open about saying that he wants Kingdom Hearts 3 to kind of tie things up as best as it can. Mm -hmm. Like, there are characters that have only appeared in one game that are all coming back for this. Like, mm -hmm. organization members that you killed in Kingdom Hearts 2 that you allegedly killed or offed or got rid of or defeated in whatever sense or form. Like, they're all back. Luxord, Larxene, Marluxia, uh... I don't know. And you don't know if they're the somebodies or the nobodies or what for form or version they're in, but they're all back. Mm. And Jesus. allegedly they're all going to get wrapped up with a bow for the most part. Because oh, I wonder, I wonder if, so if in the, you know, first you know, main two games, Riku is purposely left out of focus for, for tone, for narrative, for interest. Is that still to the game's benefit in three like do we need to put him back in focus is he still a better character out of focus well it, it's tough to say because when we leave off uh mickey and riku and yen sid has sent them off to save aqua from the realm of darkness aqua is like the keyblade master from dream drop Dis or from uh, birth by sleep and she's been in the dark realm for like 10 years and so they're all trying to save her as well as her friends, Aqua or uh, Terra and Ventus. I'm just stumbling over all these characters. <laughs> too much. Too much, man. Doing the best you can. But, like, we've been led to believe up to this point through cutscenes and dialogue and whatnot that Sora is going to be the one to save Aqua. And there's even, like, a tease at the end of the opening cutscene to uh, 2.8 where it shows Aqua's hand reaching up from below and Sora's hand reaching down to grab it. So you but think you that know that's alluding to Sora saving her. You know it's Mickey and Riku who did all the hard work. Yeah. Yeah, well, like, trailers for Kingdom Hearts... You said you've watched the trailers for Kingdom Hearts 3, so you've seen where Aqua has the yellow eyes and the silver hair. And doesn't so she's she say, like, like it's too late? Yeah. Yeah, I Mickey, you're too dramatic. late. Because she's also got a but kinship with Mickey, kind of like Riku does. Man. So that it I shows that Ricky... For all of the bosses I fought as Sora, 
I know Mickey and Riku have just fought like way darker shit. Like, I know oh, they're yeah. fighting like the void beast of eternity while Sora's like, ooh, yeah. 100%. We, the Hydra. Let's cut the head off. <laughs> I Jump just on the this, Hydra's back. It almost makes me feel, and this is my big issue, it makes me feel um, out of scope or like, like so much smaller in comparison to what Mickey and Riku do. And I and I question this decision because I am going around and I'm going world to world and I'm solving the little world's issue and then I'm constantly reminded that my friend, my like Keyblade Master friend who who is like usurped me and also travels around with Mickey who is clearly like, you know, prime of this universe. Yeah. And like they're clearly doing greater, darker, more complex, more in-depth things and 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 struggling with more in-depth emotions and I always wonder like why like why why do i need to feel like so um insecure it almost makes sora like an insecure character and you feel a lot of his insecurity oh, yeah. throughout the series especially in reference to riku and that's i feel like they missed an opportunity at the end of dream drop distance because when sora wakes riku saves sora from the darkness sora wakes up and when Riku wakes up from saving Sora he's like where's Sora and he looks around the room and Sora's literally not joking not exaggerating he's literally having a tea party with Donald and Goofy and he's got those like gag Groucho Marx glasses on with the mustache and he's like he's just having a laugh having a good time and then Yen Sid calls them calls them up to tell them the results of their test and he's like oh Sora you didn't pass Riku you're the new Keyblade Master and Riku's first reaction is like oh my god Sora, Sora are you okay and he looks over at Sora and Sora's like this is amazing Riku I knew you could do it he's like uh yeah. Sora what about you you didn't do it he's like nah I'll catch up it's fine like my he just takes it on the chin <laughs> he just takes it on the chin again like zero amount of like sadness or disappointment at not passing and just full on determination to blow which, forward and which in any other game would make for a bad protagonist like if your protagonist yeah. is too cheerful a failure whatever blase yeah. it's a bad protagonist but like that's the whole kingdom hearts, thing about it kingdom hearts is like it's it's about like the duality and the contrast and yeah like, definitely the the disney but is like, to the final fantasy what sora is to riku yeah absolutely and it just like on one hand it makes perfect sense for sora's character but on the other hand it would have been such a good moment to be like let sora have a down moment like he was just break. kind of yeah, like he was almost taken by the darkness. Like, let him dwell on that for a minute, yo. It just uh, Sora's had zero life know. learning moments. Let's yeah. I looking back on what I know of Sora's Sora's adventure, like he and it's almost like an ironic consequence of living only Disney narratives. Yeah, like that's really his thing. Like his whole adventure has just been traveling through Disney narratives and the simple like hero good guy complexes, and he comes out mm. of it. A simple hero good guy complex like he is the result of disney storytelling yeah that's i'm loving these uh these parallels you're drawing that i never thought of before <laughs> i'm all about it. i'm drawing lines all over the place oh, <laughs> room, i got a i got a huge whiteboard you have no idea <laughs> no it's excellent i love i think the the better image is knowing that you have this whiteboard with all the lines and strings attached to it and I'm pulling Having my hair out. Having played one game. Yeah, it's all based <laughs> literally just off of Kingdom Hearts 2 slash what I hear about the rest of the series. Uh, <laughs> but, amazing. Uh, dude, this is, this is it. This is the big brain moment here is that, like, this is all an allegory that you should not rest your life experience on Disney storytelling and tropes. Yep, you become yep, a perfect. flat human whom is constantly Monotone. saved by their cooler, angstier friends. That's good. I love it. 
So uh, as for Kingdom Hearts 3 Riku, we know that he and Mickey are going on a quest to save Aqua from the Realm of Darkness. And we know also, going back to Chain of Memories, Vexen, one of the organization members, creates a replica Riku who uh, is meant to confuse and throw off Sora. And Sora, like, Riku beats him, and then Sora beats him like four times, and Riku beats him again. Like the, this, re- this replica just can't stand up to the original. And eventually the, the replica fades into darkness, assuming that it's like been destroyed. But then there's one of the recent Kingdom Hearts 3 trailers where you see Riku in his new Kingdom Hearts out Kingdom Hearts 3 outfit with his, you know, short hair and all that. And he's sitting on the beaches of Destiny Island, sitting next to, lo and behold, Replica Riku. Don't know oh, uh, this is the first time one. we've seen it. Not this is the first time we've seen Repliku since Chain of Memories. He's been referenced in other ones, but it, just another the only time really he's had an actual part. Another really important storyline Riku's probably having. Yeah, well, exactly. It's like the the replica is like his darkness personified because it looks like Riku did in Kingdom Hearts 1 when he was possessed by Ansem. Mm. So, so what are you expecting? And I'm sorry if I overlap you here because I think you cut no, out no. towards the end of your sentences on my end. That's fine. Um, so what are you expecting Riku to be struggling with in 3? Like what have we concluded his like fight with darkness storyline? Do you think that's still on the table for him? I think that's mostly been told. Like, he's been possessed by Ansem and haunted by the memory of Ansem and taunted by the memory of Ansem. And Xehanort's tried to pull him back to darkness, but he's stood strong and he's been firm in his beliefs and his his power. And he's been able to harness the power of darkness to save his friends and to be a good guy. So I think that's mostly past, but it seems like they're still going to pull some of that for three. I think mostly three is going to be, as far as Riku's concerned, his journey to help his friends. Because before it was like him hiding from them because he was ashamed of his darkness and him coming to terms with the darkness and opening up to his friends. So I think this is going to be his like redemption, almost. Like Riku as a full functioning friendship. Yeah, autonomous. Human. Yeah, exactly. In Kingdom Hearts 2, he was working on the side of good, but he was hiding and he didn't want to be seen or found. This is Riku like in full offensive mode where he's like working with his party members and his teammates to get stuff done well i hope that balances out well because if sora's happy and riku's happy this this explains well i mean i don't think bringing everyone else i don't think riku's ever actually fully happy (laughs) so i'm sure he'll still be pouty and riku's just a normal human he has the normal human balance of different hormones of different emotions and experiences yeah (laughs) no it's good he is he is such a good character Man, Riku for life. Well, I look forward right. to seeing him post-angst, possibly. Mm. Possibly some angst. Yeah, well, he's, he's, uh, he certainly looks more grown up now. He is Sora's dad. No, Mickey is Sora's dad. <laughs> and Riku is, like, Sora's older brother who's, like, already done all this stuff. Like, he... Yeah. Is, like, all right, it's cute. Yeah, your first beer. Congrats. <laughs> uh, Sora, Sora's gonna have to... I think Sora is going to have to pull, pull out of the Disney narratives a little bit and live in the meta narrative of the real mm. universe, and it's just going to shatter him. Yeah, Hot takes, definitely. So I think that sounds like a good place to wrap things up. So uh, where can listeners find you online, Sharon? Can they find uh, you? Online? They can find me on Twitter uh, at Sharugala, S H A R O O G A L A, or Sharon Coon across the internet. 
Uh, don't Get look for me on YouTube. You don't need to watch the things that I've put on there. They are in the past. <laughs> Is that Twinfinite stuff? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. There are some, there are some comedy specials that, that definitely live on the internet somewhere that yeah, I don't need to watch yeah, again. No, but if you find them, you know, God bless you. I've got some of those myself from, from like a decade ago doing lip sync videos with friends. Man, I can't read. I can't read a tweet I wrote three days ago because I already have like, <laughs> anxiety. And, yeah, too much. Yep, yep I hear you. Well, uh, this has been episode ten of Kingdom Hearts and other stuff. You can find the show on Twitter at ChaosCast. That's Chaos with a K. And you can find me on Twitter as well at Zachary P Lyons. That's Zachary P L Y O N S. Chaos is part of the Nerd Pals Network, which you can find at nerdpals.network and by searching for Super Nerd Pals on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. And while you're at it, you should listen to the other excellent shows on the Nerd Pals Network. Super Nerd Pals, hosted by Stan Goderski, Andy Carasquillo, Chris Sampson, and Ryan Marlowe, and Left for Dread, the horror podcast, hosted by Chris and Ryan. Uh, one more big thank you to Sharon for chatting with me. Thanks that was for... a really, really good chat, I think, about Riku. I enjoyed it. I think I've come to some deep understandings. Yeah, I... I've I... Filled out, fully filled out my paranoia board. Which is what I was looking for <laughs> from today. Are you planning on playing the other games before Kingdom Hearts 3 drops? Or probably not? Uh, I might do a series of uh, cutscene movie cut nights. videos? Uh, and yeah, I'll probably hit you up for some recommendations on the order and importance of all of them. Absolutely. Happy to help. Yay. I've got some good ones. Alrighty. Perfect. Cool. Well, and thank you all for listening to Kingdom Hearts and other stuff. May your heart be your guiding key. Duh.